0: Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are, and you're going today for a gratitude walk. I'm sure you are, and I think it's really nice to take a podcast with you and, well, uh, enjoy the outdoors no matter what the weather, and get a little bit of insight at the same time. Now, don't forget to turn this thing off every now and again and just uh, look up and enjoy your space and enjoy the beauty of the small things, the flowers and the And the insects and the birds and listen to the sounds of nature and feel it on your fingertips, um, smell it, taste it, uh, experience it, fully experience nature. That's a gratitude walk. Now, I wanted to talk today about um, the whole package of the 30 Day Challenge and what it really represents. So many, many years ago, I started helping people and working in the world of behavioral science and organizational change. And I came to the realisation that a lot of it is uh, organisations wanting uh, performance, and, and yet the person in the organisation who most needed to improve their performance was the person booking me. And so I became, began to realise that the leadership and leaders in amongst the world want everybody to perform well, but aren't actually reflecting the mirror back on the place where the biggest performance change needed, needed to take place, which was themselves. And I started to feel a little bit dysfunctional or a little bit corrupted, I suppose, in trying to work with teams when uh, the leader of the team was the person I really needed to work with. And then I started to work with teams who had teams working for them. And I needed to work not necessarily with a, 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 the entity of a team, but the individual individuality of a team. The other thing I, I really came to learn was that um, if a person is bullied at home or manipulated at home or feeling deprived of um, uh, liberties at home. In other words, they're they're not free to be themselves. They go to work and try to express that aspect of themselves at work. And so a lot of organisational behavioural change, stuff that we do at work to cause people to change their behaviour, can't change because the entity that's at home, the environment at home is fixed. And so I realised that a lot of corporate training is isolated to the workplace. And a good example of that might be that if uh, if at work someone says to you uh, you should prioritise your work, you set goals, you should we should improve performance, we look for opportunities to continuous improvement. If you take those those um, fairly conventional and and often repeated paradigms back into your home life and and operate like that in a home, you're going to find you're going to have no marriage or no relationship, and the children will not like you, and you will not gain. Um, celebrity within your own home environment because judging, uh, improving, uh, having goals in the home, in your home and in your personal life disrupts your sense of self, disrupts your sense of connection, disrupts love, r- disrupts your self-worth. And so it really became important for me to realize that when I'm talking about human change, team change, individual change, leadership change, personal change, I really needed to embrace both the whole dimension of being a human being, the actual holistic nature of it, which is called the seven areas of life. Spiritual, social, mental, career, financial, health and relationship. All of those things interact with each other and are codependent on each other. And if we do, let's say, for example, if we become fastidious and over-focused and over on our health, we'll become extraordinarily lazy and under-focused. It could be in our social um, interaction or social responsibility um, or in our uh, financial management. And we become really highly engaged uh, in our health but forget to bank and and earn the money and build our career, for example. So a lot of uh, this goes on and it comes down to what I call the conventional um, self-help uh, process or the psychology and personal development process, which is more akin to firefighting. We take a problem and we try to solve the problem, thinking that that problem uh, is, in, in, is compartmentalised. So we might be stressed and we go and fix our stress, but we don't realise that that stress is counterbalancing another area of life where we're totally chilled. Or we might try to get more motivated at work and not realise that we're highly motivated at home. And to become motivated at work, more committed and more championed and more high performance at work, we have to sacrifice something at home. And so uh, the firefighting methodology, it really leaves blind spots to the consequence of it. And if you look at anybody you've ever known and ever met in the world who's done any degree of uh, personal development, meditation, Uh, follow a book, become a Buddhist, or uh, uh, gone to Anthony Robbins and become uh, energised about something, about a goal. You'll always see the negative consequence of it playing out in that person's life as a form of surprise. They'll get depressed uh, mentally while they achieve uh, something physically. So this whole paradox needed to shift. And I think it will be written on my tombstone that I invented or reinvented, uh, is probably the better word, what it looks like to change a human being. And let me go through that. And that's the 30-day challenge. The first thing is we have to change uh, thought. Every judgment we have, which uh, results in a, uh, an emotion, uh, results in a reaction or an action to a situation. And until we change that, our, our behaviour... Uh, Remains anchored in a thought process. So number one, we have to change thought. And that's the first step. And you will engage in that during the course of the 30-Day Challenge, learning how to change a thought. And until you change a thought, nothing changes. A sheep goes down a path. And if you go to New Zealand and go bushwalking, you'll find the, the strange trails you walk along are not necessarily the most logical path between A and B. They are what's called the sheep trail. And uh, Or if you go in uh, bushwalking even in uh, uh, different parts of Tasmania, you'll go walking along a trail and you go, I can't understand why I'm going down here and over there, around here, because once upon a time it was the trail used to, uh, for wagons or uh, be, uh, bullocks pulling logs from out of the forest. And so we, we, and we get stuck in, in paths, and these paths in the brain are called myelinated pathways. They are pathways of thought logic, that we blink, we see something, and we go, ah, oh, there's the answer. We bite, we we create automated systems between the event and our response. And quite often, the pathway is not logical. The pathway is not healthy. It was created um, at, at a time. It was created in a childhood. It could have been created um, as a as an interpretation of a circumstance that wasn't necessarily valid. So, number one in the program, we're going to learn how to change thought. Number two. Your body thinks it has a memory. It's called muscle memory, cellular memory. And we reinvent our body every six months. But most people uh, keep eating the same food, keep doing the same things, keep uh, and therefore uh, keep sustaining the same body memories. And so your body will react in shock or react, it'll stiffen up around certain people. And it's not thinking the judgment, it's got a memory. And so the mind the mind and the body are actually one entity. And we don't quite know where one starts and one finishes. But to think that we can change the mind without changing physically the body, the infrastructure, the diet, the nutrition program, the exercise program. If we think we can change the mind without changing the body, we're, we're, we're really deluding ourselves. The third aspect is a really important one. Now, if you look the same, people will treat you the same. So if you look the same as you did last year, people are going to say you are the same as you were last year. Even though you may think different and your body might be, have a different memory, which means it's memorising the future, you may be a completely different entity, mind and body. But if you look the same, people will treat you the same. There's a book called Blink, and you're going to get that link in the, in the program. And in that book, The Blink, um, Malcolm Gladwell, he says... Uh, he did a study of thousands and thousands of people and he just gave them a picture and said, what do you think? And in a blink, we get an impression of the person. But if you change the hairstyle and change the clothes and change the posture of that individual that you're blinking at, you think different. And so if, if we keep the same environment, the way we set our desk, the way we uh, uh, wear our clothes, what we wear, if we are wearing the same shoes as we did last year, if we're wearing the same jacket, same shirts and same blouse and same hairstyle and same uh, same thing, then people think we're not different. Now that's really not appropriate because we are different and we are, are changing our mind and evolving our thoughts. But if we want to be treated differently, in other words, recognised for um, the asset that we bring to an organisation or be more affectionate be more affectioned upon by a spouse or have the kids look at us and see us as, as a greater uh, parent than we were well, last year. We have to look different. Now, we're afraid of it. We go to the hairdresser and we say, we go to the same hairdresser every time, say, make me look the same as last time. And we put on shirts and jackets and things out of the cupboard and go, oh, I need to replace that. And we buy the same things. So quite often, it's time to reinvent yourself as an appearance. And what we did in the, the initial times of the 30-day challenge we, My partner, Lotta, is really good at at, at brand clothing. And so she took some of the people that have done the program already out shopping and did a a rebranding of their appearance in shopping. What we found, however, and that was really great, and people spent a few bucks and she took them to the right shops and they looked spectacularly different. But what we found is it needs to be done every year. And uh, instead of hiring... Uh, a branding person to take you shopping or or a shopping uh, guru uh, you you need to really think um, more about where you want to be positioned in the world and what those people that you want to be positioned like look like and therefore start uh, emulating in a sense not copying but emulating the style and the qualities when i traveled the world as a professional speaker and my teacher uh, 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 wore Versace all the time. He wore Versace all the time, and I was walking around in, a, in an old jacket and probably blue jeans and a denim jacket, probably. And we're going around America. And finally, he went. We went to his home in uh, Houston, and to where he stored his clothes. And he went to a rack and he pulled out this suit. And the suit was an old Giorgio Armani suit, which was way, way. way, way. He's small. He's probably a, a 30 hips and I'm uh, 35 um, if if I'm lucky. And so th- I had to take the suit to a tailor and they stretched it and they lengthened it and thing. But suddenly I was standing in workshops with my uh, uh, colleague and I looked like a presenter instead of looking like a guy from the Australian bush who had come to the States uh, and was, um, uh, uh, was dressed probably as... Worse, if not worse than uh, the audience, and that's just not appropriate in the world of speaking. You, 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 you create impression by the way you look. So the third step, the other part about this, uh, the third level, which is really important for you to hear at this point, is that I work with Indigenous people, and what I used to get in Canada were thirty kids who were uh, what they called youth at risk, and these were handpicked from communities all around the Indigenous um, areas of. Canada, and they uh, uh, of each um, district, and they were brought to a room. The teachers brought them there. I was running the room. The first thing would happen is the teachers would bring them all to the room and leave, which was sort of like, and go and have coffee, which means they were really dumping them. The second thing, half of them were on uh, Ritlin, which means their mind is uh, sedated, uh, and the teachers in the schools were allowed to uh, administer Ritlin. The, 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 the third thing is these kids would sit in the room and say, well, this is a chance to play up and muck up. And I would have a really difficult job to convince these kids to listen and talk and, and engage in something that might change their lives. But I would off, offer them one aspect of personal change. I would talk to them about their health. I would talk to them about their mind. I would talk to them about something or their vision. Typically it was, where do you want to be? Where do you want to be? Where do you want to be? The one day, I just happened by circumstance to end up in one of these kids' homes. And it was an absolute bomb. The parents were drunk already. It was midday. Uh, there was dirt and grub. There was cars upside down in the, in, the, in the driveway. The environment that this kid went home to was absolutely resistant to the teaching that I was doing in the room when I went there every month. And you realise that people are a product of their environment. And so then I insisted with all of the people I was working with, with the federal government of Canada and the local communities, to say, I want to work with the parents. If I can't work with the parents, I can't work with a kid. And I made a rule because I wanted to teach the parents that creating a better environment was a really important part of their own uh, aspirations for their kids. Of course, I got pushback because... In many of those environments, the parents were uh, alcoholic. They were abusing the kids sexually or physically or emotionally and didn't want to change that. So I understood the lockdown that when you try to prevent 30 kids from committing suicide, which is what's called youth at risk, the odds of it happening are very reduced because of environmental factors as well as a few others. And uh, uh, unfortunately, that proved out that although we had success, we didn't have absolute success. And that really brought me to realise that if unless you change what a person looks like, feels like the environment they're in, they don't evolve, they don't grow. They are stuck because the environment is an affirmation. The fourth thing we were going to do and the fourth aspect of human development is priorities, values, time management. Now, we have this strange uh, idea that when you... Uh, allocate time to something you are giving it your best so for example if you say I'm gonna allocate all day to my kids on Saturday and the question might be are you really allocating all day on Saturday or are, you, or are you just locking out other things and you're not focused on the kids all day I think it's better to talk about priorities and focus time and concentrated time and divided time and we're going to talk about prioritization of work in other words divide work into slices so you know what's critical, mission critical, and you know what's not. That gives you the ability to not be overwhelmed. And number two, you're going to focus on what will get you remunerated and what, what your rewards are for doing certain things, and you'll do first things first. But it's also about the seven areas of life. And there are people who whose health is their lowest priority, but spend five hours a day in gyms and things because they want to look good. So... So there is a far more effective way than five hours in the gym to look good uh, through other mechanisms. So time allocation is for some reason associated with end result, and that is very rarely the case. It, uh, healing, for example, is the instantaneous recognition that crisis is a blessing, a great treatment, a great massage, a great connection with a healer in the, in the, in the mountains of the Himalaya is an instantaneous moment of connection. They just bang you on the forehead or tap you on the body and the thing that they're working on is fixed and you think, geez, what happened to the hour? So we're stuck with this idea of an hour massage is far better than an instantaneous uh, treatment. And we have to break that because one of the things that draws us thin in life is allocating time to things instead of allocating focus, allocating intensity allocating concentration and recognising what we call link it or sink it, that if you do something that's someone else's priority and you can't link it to your priority, your self-worth is sinking. So that's the fourth step. The fifth is working on your vision. Now, a human being is their future. If you talk to anybody in the world, who has lost hope for the future, who doesn't think the future will be better than today. You're talking to a suicidal, probably depressed human being who, if it gets worse and worse and worse, and they believe that the next hour is going to be worse than the current hour, that person will take their life. So one of the critical things about remaining happy, joyful, celebratory, positive, grateful, is to have some sort of an enthusiastic, and I'm not talking about boring old more, old, more, old, more, an enthusiastic expectation of what's going to transpire in the future. So this concept of enthusiasm, uh, we call it give. Gratitude, inspiration, vision, and enthusiasm give. And we're going to learn about that in the 30-day program because maintaining enthusiasm for the future and maintaining not a fantasy or a false sense of hope, but maintaining confidence in the future becomes a sense of self. It's not. Then, then we move away from the paradigm of being right and wrong, good or bad, or seeking pleasure, avoiding pain. We move into a paradigm of saying, I am the future I create, because that future can build, that future can grow, and that future can leave an immortal impact. So we get a bigger definition of being ourselves. And we start to maintain that vision in terms of its, uh, its distance away, which is called our p- purpose, we start maintaining that vision. It brings us to uh, uh, the concept of vision, inspiration, purpose, maintaining vision, goals, and uh, and daily habits that link to the future. The sixth step is called self-talk. Now, there's no use walking around beating yourself up for things like frustration. So, the whole of concept of self-talk deals with one. Particular word, and that is frustration. So we evolve to our level of incompetence. Uh, you all know that. You you can see the rings of a tree when the when the tree goes drops its bark. It's incompetent. It can't cope. It tries to. It grows out. It builds another level of uh, uh, wood, as we call it, uh, a ring, a growth ring, and then it goes shit. I'm going to put a layer of bark on here to protect myself. So we grow into our incompetence. We don't grow into competence. We grow into incompetence. And so you might start a new job tomorrow and you'll feel, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing here. And bit by bit, you'll build your competence. You'll go, oh, wow, I'm getting better and better at this. Wow, this is really good. And just the day when you walk in the front door and say to your partner, oh, wow, I'm really good at my job. I love my job. They give you a new responsibility or they change your job or they give you more work to do. So as soon as we become competent, nature delivers to us more. And that's what we want. We want more, but we don't want incompetence. And so we quite often throw the baby out with the bathwater and we start saying, I don't want to feel incompetent, but I do want more. But when I get more, I'm going to feel incompetent. So I try to be competent with more, which is a battle it's the battle within, and uh, and uh, the Marbarata talks about this internal battle between what's called competence, which is comfort and, and security and confidence in what we do, and the inc- discomfort of being um, a babe at a new level, and we have to understand this. This is called frustration, and instead of beating ourselves up psychologically and personally and relationship and work, instead of beating ourselves up, for growing into incompetence, we reward ourselves and say, wow, I feel frustrated. That's a congratulations, Chris. That's a congratulations to me. I've grown into frustration. Now I need to process that frustration. I need to put order in the chaos. I need to work through that because that's the duty I have to become again comfortable in the next level of more that I've generated just in time for me to go, wow, I'm really good at this now. And get the next layer it's no different than going through sport c grade b grade a grade if you're in c grade and they promote you you're a dickhead in b grade until you get your uh, skills up and understand it when you're in b grade you're the top of the game they put you in a grade and you feel like a babe again now this happens in relationship it happens in health it happens in sport it happens in business and unless you can embrace yourself and embrace the psychology of frustration, you will the self talk will be continually wrong. It will be saying, "I'm frustrated. I must be stupid. I've reverted to an old behaviour. I'm I must be uh, incompetent. At this thing, and I must therefore be be wrong, and uh, and beat yourself up." But instead, we're going to encourage you during the thirty day challenge to reward yourself for frustration and have a process to get through it. With all this human development. This is the holistic nature of how to change a person, how to change yourself. And it puts you in the driver's seat. And it doesn't say, oh, if you've got a stress and your mind is uh, full of emotion, you can just change that particular aspect of yourself and fix the problem. That's called firefighting. It doesn't work. We know it doesn't work. We've seen it not work. We've got friends you've seen it doesn't work. People go to meditation to try and be calm, but then they go to work and get more sensitive because now they're meditating in bliss and they expect the world to be blissful. That is a false expectation. So I'm looking forward to uh, sharing the 30-day challenge with you. If you're not doing it and you've heard this, this is part of the coaching process anyway that I take everybody through over the long term. I have been coaching some people for seven years. Can you believe that i coach people for seven years through their life and every time they get to a frustration we have work to do and every time they get to calm, they they, they are comfortable and so the the journey is a sur- it's more like surging it's like a wave breaking on the beach it's a surge and then relax and it's a surge and then relax and we will always grow into more more stress uh, and more abundance and more gifting, and more leadership, and more love, and more consciousness, and more responsibility, and therefore more frustration. Um, So all of that leads to change, and uh, that's the process of human development. We don't leave anything behind. I'm looking forward to working with you. I'm looking forward to coaching you. I'm looking forward to implementing any part of this in your life, but most importantly, I want to emphasize it's not just about compartmentalizing and firefighting problems to solve them. All seven areas must evolve. This is Chris. You have a beautiful day. Bye for now.